Geico presents sharing versus oversharing. Earlier this week, Claire Tippins shared a princess nickname generator, three pictures of her dog wearing a tutu, and two online quizzes, including what candy is your dream castle made of? Claire, your sharing has tipped the sugar scale and turned into oversharing. But have no fear, princess. Geico has something worth sharing with your internet kingdom, like how you could save hundreds on your car insurance just by visiting geico.com. No magic wand required. Geico, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to The Catch with John Fisher on Blog Talk Radio, connecting life to faith. We're just trying to get it together, trying to help the fellow We've got a we've got a whole bunch of uh, political candidates right now who think they can make the world better. Uh, they think they can make America better. I'm not sure America is real sure about that, but um, it's an interesting time and a very interesting uh, campaign that we're entering into this this election year. So uh, I'm excited. For uh, Blog Talk Radio, I'm excited for the catch. I'm excited to be able to talk to our readers and our our regular uh, catch people about um, grace turned outward and what that means in the context of of the the world we live in, which would include uh, politics. And I I have to tell you, um, politics and Christianity um, have really not gone together too well. For, as far as I'm concerned, in the last 20, 30 years, um, I think we've made a bunch of mistakes, and uh, I'm not really sure, you know, how to get how, how we're going to get out of it. And um, we're going to talk about some of that uh, tonight. And I'm very excited uh, with the guest that we have tonight. We've had him on our, our show uh, a, a number of uh, number of months ago, and we're so glad to have him back, especially at this time. Because uh, you know the, the political issues are are, forf- are forefront of all of our minds, and uh, uh, we're watching uh, you know Donald take take over and wondering where that's going to go, and um, you know, and we've only got two candidates on the Democratic side. It's, it's a really an interesting uh, interesting world right now, and no one could probably d- talk about it better than. Then Rob, uh, Rob Stetsman is is on our board of directors, um, and he is uh, also uh, has his own PR firm out of Sa- uh, Sacramento, and does a lot of work primarily with uh, campaigns. And in fact, I'm going to just uh, welcome him on the show and have him tell us a little bit about about what he does. Rob, welcome to Block Up Radio. Thank you, John. It's great to be with you this evening. Yeah. Um, tell me, can, can you explain, because I, I have a hard time putting my arms around what it is that you actually do. I know, I know you have a PR campaign, but uh, are you, do you do public relations for anybody, or it seems like you do a lot with, with uh, political issues and candidates as well. Um, 
give a little picture of that. Yeah, well, what we do is focus on communications around the public policy space. Uh, So marketing of ideas and um, our clients generally have issues in front of the government, whether it's legislation or taxes Mm. and regulations and so those are the issues we work on. And, the, yes, my background is in politics, and I ran communications for uh, Governor Schwarzenegger when he was in office as governor of California. So that's my mm-hmm. background is that, that type of media relations, being a spokesperson and and helping, trying to help people in the public square, you know, best communicate what they have to say. Wow, that's cool. Um we uh, we we talk about it. You're doing it. <laughs> it's, it's it's like your job. And uh, um, I, I'm I, you know. Have you ever actually run someone's campaign? Yes. Yes. So I also do. I do run campaigns uh, as a a general consultant. Think of it much like a contractor you might hire for your to build you a house. Uh, in the mm-hmm. campaign world, there's a general consultant who's in charge of. A lot of sub projects that need to be get done, right? Whether it's uh, the, the printing and of mail, or making TV ads, or uh, fundraising operations. That's generally how campaigns are structured. Yeah. Wow. Well, um, gosh, this. Do Do we want to start talking about this particular campaign <laughs> and try and unravel this mess that we've got? Uh, I, I don't think anybody expected Donald Trump to be where he is now. And, uh, you know, you I understand you were originally uh, backing Jeb Bush, and, of course, he's out now. Um, what what are we going to do about this? <laughs> what, what's going on, <laughs> do you think? Well, it's, it, yeah, it's, everyone's trying to, to autopsy this while it's still somewhat playing out in real time. <laughs> Uh, the, the Trump, the, yeah, the, the, the Trump phenomenon. No, no one really kind of accurately. I should say, very few people accurately uh, understood that it would be such a sustained effort. Uh, is is symptomatic of what happens when there is uh, large portions of population that are that are disaffected and have felt mm-hmm. left behind and feel like they don't have a voice. And you become prone to uh, grabbing onto and being drawn to someone that's going to give a strong voice uh, to really who you are and your perspective. Uh, I think one mm-hmm. of the things that propelled Trump forward was how aghast uh, the media was. And I think there's a lot, a lot of Americans out there that um, were spurred on by that and got the thrill mm. that being able to, to tweak the media and upset the media um, ah. is something they typically do not have the power to do. And supporting Trump was a way to do that. It has continued to be a way to do that. And same can be said also for what now is, you know, commonly referred to as the establishment, whatever that may be, however you mm-hmm. may want to define it, define it. But obviously the elected party leaders and donors and, um, elites within the Republican Party, uh, which I probably have to identify as, uh, in fairness to my, my critique, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a way to tweak all of, tweak all of us as well. And 
you know, there's a real question, well, where should power really lie? It's interesting that on the Democrat side, um, there's a very contested primary there. Uh, Mr. Sanders mm-hmm. is, a, is a similar phenomenon uh, to the to the Trump phenomenon. Uh, mm-hmm. And if there, frankly, was one more candidate running, splitting up delegates on their side, it's very likely that he would be leading um, on the Democrat side. So oh. mm-hmm. it's there's a, the similarities uh, are, are striking, and it's there's a lot of restlessness and dissatisfaction with the establishment of, of both mm-hmm. parties. Rob, do you think, though, when it really comes down to who we're going to put in the White House, people are going to be a little little more sensible than just trying to make waves? Well, I do. I mean, one thing that's important to understand is to is how how large is the uh the Trump base uh, if you yeah. will. Uh I mean, to date he's gotten roughly just more than one out of every three Republicans who have voted have voted for mm-hmm. Trump. So, it's basically two-thirds of the people going to the polls in the Republican primaries are voting against him or voting for someone else. Uh, he, you extrapolate that out to the general election, people that will be voting in November, and you know, that's only about 20, 22%. Uh, mm. once, once you add Democrats and independents into the, into the overall mix. So he mm-hmm. is, uh, he, he doesn't have this massive, uh, majority. What he has is a rather small, well, I, I'd say a healthy plurality of Republican mm-hmm. voters so far, and that's what's propelling him. We look at mm-hmm. polling numbers, people like, like me look at polling, and we don't necessarily look for, well, who's ahead in the, in the, in the horse race head-to-head. We look at things like how do people really feel about somebody. And what you see with Donald Trump when you ask general election voters, all voters, uh, do you have a positive or mm-hmm. negative you know, feeling of this man, it's highly negative, uh, h- higher mm-hmm. negative than anyone who's ever run for president. Uh, which is interesting because wow. Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton also has very high negatives. You could have the most two most unpopular candidates ever running against each other. So I mean, some of that is, like, I think, that a long way of answering your question, John, is that I don't, yeah, I, I do think people, there's not a majority of people who um, are necessarily, um, I mean, what mm-hmm. you call a Trump voter, or identifying him as the, as their leader. Now, the question is, when it becomes a choice between two, are there a lot of people that go ahead and make an accommodation? Because you got to pick somebody, and there will yeah. be things at stake, possibly, such as uh, the Supreme Court uh, nomination. And will they rationalize mm-hmm. uh, a way to, to vote for Trump? And mm-hmm. uh, that, of course, this is the big drama that remains to be seen. Wow, wow. One of the one of the things that really, uh, I, just personally, I, I have a hard time with are the large amount of people who seem to be saying as they come out of the polls and who are Trump voters are saying the reason they voted is that they they are just tired, sick and tired of politicians. They don't want any, you know, they want politicians. They want somebody new in Washington. It, isn't that a non-thinking way to go about this? Because isn't it true that as soon as someone is elected, that they become a politician? They have no choice. Isn't that right? I mean, they they have yeah. to they have to become a politician to get anything done. Am I right about that? 
Yeah, no, it's one, it's one of the great ironies of, of the outsider. And we've elected outsiders before. I mean, mm-hmm. that's often an angle. Um, I, I, I worked for an outsider with Governor Schwarzenegger. We were an outsider. You know, bring the non-politician to to bear in uh, in the state capitol. Yeah. But yes, within a matter yeah. within a matter of a couple of years, um, he was one of the politicians because it's inevitable. Uh, it's right. one of the reasons the president has had such a difficult time. He was really an outsider, even though he was already in the U.S. Senate. Uh, he ran against mm-hmm. the establishment, Hillary Clinton, and ran against Washington, mm-hmm. and promised hope and change. And you know, within Within a couple of years, he was part of the institution and couldn't really deliver change because it's practically impossible. And there went mm-hmm. hope, and people's expectations uh, couldn't be couldn't be satisfied. Uh, much as it would be yeah. the same with Donald Trump. Uh, so there is mm-hmm. back to your your point about it being non-thinking. Well, I totally think it's non non-thinking. Um, I'm I'm not I'm not I'm I'm slow to criticize people. Um, who are finding a voice that they haven't had, because I understand that. But it is an absolutely uh, non-thinking, anti-intellectual exercise, mm-hmm. in my opinion, to be uh, so supportive of someone who openly calls for the obliteration of the U.S. Constitution um, <laughs> and is promising things that it won't happen and can't be done and shows no grasp of uh, of policy mm-hmm. and the implications of the things that he is saying. The, sad, the saddest thing is, John, I believe, is that uh, Donald Trump is a charlatan. This is all uh, a con. Senator um, Rubio is calling him a con man. I don't think he really believes in anything. And I think this is all hmm. about feeding feeding huh. people and manipulating them. And that is it, yeah. that may be a cynical point of view, but I believe that's just how cynical uh, the Trump phenomena yeah. is. Well, where where are you throwing your hat in the ring anywhere at this point? Well, with you know, I was I was a I've always been a big fan of Governor Bush. I was supporting him, and um, with him out of the race, I'm I'm now I've been supporting Senator Rubio, who will need to win in his home state of Florida uh, a week from tonight if he's going to be able to mm-hmm. keep proceeding through this process. Hmm. Do you think he has any chance? There's a chance he's going to have to come from behind, um, but they have a, a well-resourced, full effort going on in Florida. Anyone listening to us tonight in Florida, seeing lots of TV ads this week, uh, so there's yeah. a chance. There is a chance, but uh, but Trump, Trump is uh, is certainly leading. Yeah, yeah. Well, Rob, let's turn to talking a little bit. I, I want to spend the rest of our time trying to figure out what do we do as Christians and, and this, this whole idea of Christians in politics. Um, it, it's been really an interesting last 20 to 30 years watching what has happened with Christians. When we, we went to the, uh, uh, started, I think with the, with a moral majority. And then, right. uh, we started coming together all of a sudden, Hey, we've got a lot of us here. We can, we can do something. And, and then it became the Christian coalition and then people began to fall in behind some big one or two big issues like family values and abortion was certainly a huge one. And uh, those one or two single things drove people as preachers were preaching in church and, and people were going out and voting and, and it was all tied in together. We, we are Christians and we're going to get America back and, 
Christians in the White House, and and uh, this is going to be a Christian nation again. Uh, something something's wrong with that. Um, and uh, I, where are we now? In, in, are have people gotten a little smarter? Do you think? Or of course, now you know we we have the whole media wants to know about evangelicals never cared about evangelicals before <laughs> now they do because we have all this we have this power you know and is that a is that a power that we really should use as as christians can can we make a difference for the kingdom of god through politics i i well know, i haven't even, i've asked too many questions so just <laughs> <laughs> take it well for, take any one you I, I i well i agree with how this all started how you you diagnosed it back in the 80s mm-hmm. uh moral majority turned into pat robertson's christian coalition and what you know jerry falwell uh basically stumbled onto the fact that direct mail fundraising really took off when mm-hmm. uh talking about uh these these moral issues and so it that is really kind of the, the start of the Christian right movement as a political entity there in the in the 80s. Ironically, remember, coming off uh, the evangelical vote was a huge part of Jimmy Carter's voter coalition uh, in 1976 uh, mm-hmm. because he was he was professing his faith. Ger- in fact, Gerald Ford's advisors encouraged him to start talking about his faith because he had a very genuine conversion experience. Um, mm-hmm. Was a man of, of of faith, and he he just he thought it was it was uh, cynical and manipulative for him to talk about his faith, and he wouldn't dare use it that way. Uh, mm. So evangelicals so go with Carter, uh, they go back to Reagan in '80, and then begins the Christian, the more the modern Christian right movement, uh, driven by money. It was a way to raise money, uh, and mm-hmm. you know, so there's there's worldly power, manifestation of worldly power is what drove mm-hmm. this. And this belief that yes, you could use the institutions of government to somehow bring about um, morality. Um, yeah. And and so now we have a culture out of the evangelical pulpits uh, now for you know the next twenty twenty five years, where we you know we we're, we're telling people well through worldly attaining worldly power, you can usher in or preserve uh, the, the kingdom of God. I mean, that's the basic equation. So this is what we have wrought. Um, now you fast forward to 2016, and evangelical voters, which is now an overused term by the media, who probably really don't understand what an evangelical is, uh, are yeah. splintered all over the place. They're, they're all over the place. You've got evangelicals voting for Trump. You've got Ted Cruz analogizing his campaign to the resurrection of Christ, the glory in the morning. When he won Iowa, he said, um, basically begging, commanding Christians to vote for him. Marco Rubio, sure, you know, Jesus up his talking points in Iowa. <laughs> he talks very much about his faith. But the but the but but the, the voters are the voters going everywhere. It's really being spread. You see a break uh having to do with level of college education as to which candidates are going towards. You've got leaders in the evangelical uh, world, um, Falwell Jr., of course, endorsing Trump, others, you know, rebuking that. So even the leadership is splintered uh, all over the place. And you've got now millennials who, uh, you and I have talked yeah. a lot about millennials. I think just have a very different take on what it means to exercise faith in the public square or outwardly into the world. And none of this is really appealing to them. 
and they're looking for right. someone that, that would. I, I had some people tell me that's what they liked about uh, Governor Bush, because when he would talk about faith, he would talk about it made him a servant leader, and because of his belief in God, instructed him that every person had as value. Uh, mm. That's a little different than the fire and brimstone, you know, we're getting from, from some mm-hmm. of the other candidates. So where we are today, I think, is a fascinating moment, not just in politics, but for the evangelicals themselves on how they're going to continue to engage in the public square. And I, I think in some ways people are starting to take it back and do a little bit of their own thinking again uh, and Good. trying to understand mm-hmm. maybe what some of the errors have been in putting too much faith into trying mm-hmm. to solve for for the kingdom of God by who we elect. I mean, it's clear that both parties are flawed. You know, mm-hmm. candidates are obviously deeply flawed, <laughs> and there is there is no salvation on who you elect to the White House. That I'm glad to hear you say that. So that's a good thing. So um, is 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 there a Christian vote, Rob? Is there a way that all Christians uh, should vote? Well, no, I would hope not. Uh, I uh, no, I. I go, you know, I, I attend a church in Sacramento where there are uh, political slogans on bumper stickers in the parking lot at the left and the right, and we we go into the sanctuary together and and worship Jesus together and act as a community. I, um, That's great. I think it would be I think it'd be dreadful if we all thought the same thing. I think uh, you know we probably need to be listening to each other uh, a little a little mm-hmm. bit more. Uh, I, this whole notion um, that there are certain single issues. Um, that we have to be voting on, uh, and we could probably check off what those are. Uh, as also, I just think it's a little bit of a dangerous way of thinking. For instance, uh, well, I'm only going to vote for a life, so I won't vote for a candidate who makes an exception for abortion. You know, for life of the life of the mother or rape. Usually, it's the rape exception. Is the well, you know, you know, it's, to me, it's also pro-life to make sure we keep the country safe and my kids don't get blown up by terrorists. Um, yeah. But we've we have we haven't we haven't really given people the permission or challenged them to think much more broadly in the context of their faith and how they can apply it to, to politics. And the other thing that's hard for Christians is we are abs- you know we have our absolute beliefs and there are absolutes, um, <laughs> but politics by design, especially our politics, uh, are made to bend and compromise. That is the that is the engineering. Of our of, of our government by the founders, and that That's doesn't right. set well with people, and they have a hard time reconciling all that. So it's important to accept and understand these things as you head into the engaging the political process that you're not going to get uh, the the perfection of a godly mm-hmm. world by anything uh, through through politics. But it's okay to participate. Yeah. It's good to be there. Um, frankly, there's instruction in the in the Bible to be there and to be participants. Uh, but just understand it has its limits. Yeah, um, you know I've been I've been uh, talking about and reading uh, Gregory Boyd's book recently, uh, the the myth of a Christian nation. Are you familiar with that book, Rob? Uh, I I am not, and but I've enjoyed reading what you what you've written about it. In yeah, the catch. yeah, I I highly recommend it. And you know what he's what he's doing is. Um, He's he's saying that, you know, there's a there's a world, and you mentioned it too, the sort of worldly power, and and he calls it power over. The world functions from a power over point of view, um, and and enforcing, getting people to do things, and Jesus 
the kingdom of God functions from a power under point of view. And you mentioned yes. Jeb Bush saying he's a servant. That's exactly it. That's Jesus comes to serve. And we, if representatives of the kingdom of God, then we come under, we, we power under, we're servants, we're vulnerable, we're, we're willing to, uh, to not, you know, force anybody, but, but to love people and, and lift them up. This is, this is the kingdom of God. And, um, so it seemed to me that as Christians, we could get really busy with the kingdom of God, and then we could also step over here into this worldly thing, and we know we're not going to we're not going to create the kingdom of God through politics, but we're going to do the best we can because we live in that world, um, and and so we're gonna we're gonna try and put a person in there who who we think is the most sensible for the why. Doesn't that make sense? And why can't we do that? <laughs> well, we we can. I, I think that's right. It's it's not a binary decision to either you know uh, participate, thinking that somehow brings about the kingdom of God, or if it doesn't, then we just don't participate. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, if anything, we make we make politics and the the, the specific um, situation around us healthier when we're acting outwardly into the community uh, as Christians. Uh, mm-hmm. Instead of waiting for government to do it all, and you know, typically mm. government then follows, uh, in, in, mm. in, is it, which is often often the case. You know, the great the great you know, universities and hospitals weren't founded by government; founded by the church. Uh, and we we have as a church, I think we really have lost sight of that. Uh, that there is a yeah. there's a whole obligation of uh, of engagement. Um, you know, the wealthy, the you know. Uh, can lead lead through noble pursuits. So I think we you know there's we we see examples of that, like what the Gates have done. Uh, I don't know if it comes from a, a perspective of faith or not, but there are, there are things we should be pushing into in that in that regard and make you know make that's how we make government better uh, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Now that's not to say we can't look. There's things to be upset about. There's things we should protest about. There are rights that we should advocate for, including ourselves at times, as we are entitled to do. Um, but there's a difference mm-hmm. between how you're going to be outwardly facing as a servant leader, as you pointed out, uh, versus uh, outwardly facing out as an as an angry um, as an angry rebel. It reminds me very much of those with the, those singing Hosanna on Palm Sunday because they thought that their uh, their their king was going to be a military liberator, and mm. were really disappointed to find out he was going to lead in a very different. Um, unconventional, yeah. unworldly way. Rob, do you know why? Do you have any idea why people get so upset about politics? I mean, they say it, if you want to get into an argument, talk about politics or religion. <laughs> uh, do you have yeah. any idea why? Why that is? Uh, to some degree, it's the it, it's how coarse our culture has become. I mean, we haven't really talked about, but the the rise of talk radio in the '90s and cable television uh, in the 2000s, and the the, the the tone, tenor, and rhetoric of that has become divisive and I think lazy. Because I, I think it's a it's mm. largely largely anti intellectual. It's it's all very propaganda driven, and I, you know, it, with, in the age of mass media, I don't know how that doesn't eventually dumb down and sharpen. 
um, the rhetoric of of politics. And then there's just people that are going to feel passionately about their point of view. And uh, I, I enjoy a vigorous debate as much as anyone, as long as we're talking about the ideas and stop short of personal personal insult. But I think we have to appreciate that for certain people, um, these are uh, these are issues that they're passionate about, often for very just reasons uh, or virtuous reasons. And uh, it you know serves us it serves us well, I think, sometimes to engage in, in vigorous debates. Uh, of ideas. Okay. Uh, I think that, I think I actually think it's healthy. I think that's okay for people to have, you know, strong feelings. Okay. Okay, as long as we don't bash people uh, as a result of them or belittle them or, or you know, well, make, I, yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean Donald, <laughs> Donald Trump couldn't be putting a finer point on it, right? It just, he moves right to yeah. personal vindictive and insult. It was interesting if you challenged us uh, in the catch today, but when we when we look at these leaders, what's in our heart? Because uh, you know, mm-hmm. your point was it should be love, and I have to admit, I'm not there yet on <laughs> Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> but it was a, it was a, it was an interesting <laughs> challenge. I'm like, that's right. I haven't prayed for him. Um, mm-hmm. um, I may have prayed for things to happen to him, but I haven't prayed for him. <laughs> and it's because it, it it's so mean and and vindictive. But what it, actually, it was a, I think it's a great challenge for us, John. Is can we, if we are offended, you know, are we able mm-hmm. to, uh, to to bow and pray for for somebody? Yeah, pray for someone. Love love our enemies. Pray for those who persecute. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. see, that's uh, that's what makes us part of the kingdom of God, and and that's what is so unique about the kingdom of God because it it is completely different. It's coming from a whole different standpoint and uh well i think that's where our power is yeah an election season like this what a great opportunity for followers of Mm. of christ to stand out and be different and that's why it's it's disconcerting when i i see Mm -hmm. so many uh christians flocking to rather conventional um candidates with great with great passion um, it's a, it's, it's a chance, yeah. I think, to step back and be different. Do you have any ideas how we how we might do that? Um, you know, I, this is a difficult question, I know. Um, but off the top of your head, you know, thinking along these lines, well, how how <laughs> how can we represent the kingdom of God in a better way? Uh, do you know at this time? I think a lot of it, you know, and I, know, I, I, I get tired of picking on the church, um, mm-hmm. but I do come back to. I, I think this is culmination of a lot of poor, lazy, um, even anti-intellectual teaching out of the pulpits for a long time. Which we, we've already kind of covered this earlier. We really need, we really need to turn around with the leaders in the church. Um, mm-hmm. uh, to me, what. Falwell Jr. has done is just inexplicable. And there's plenty of leaders within the church, and I say church big C, right, uh, that have yeah. come out and said as much. So there's this, there's a healthy debate going on over, over this. Um, but I think we really need leaders articulating and showing people a path of uh, how mm. to be engaging as, as servant leaders. And maybe there's an opportunity, you know, you got to hit bottom, right? And, and there's so much fracturing of we're evangelicals. Uh, are engaging in this election. Maybe we're at that moment where we're hitting the bottom, and something comes out of it that is uh, mm. more dedicated to, uh, to to better instruction and providing better opportunities 
to be to be serving. I hope so. Uh Rob, I just noticed uh on email uh, a couple days ago, back it was just uh, maybe even this this morning, um that that there's a Christian college that is beginning a campaign to stop an attempt to take in God we trust off of our money. And um in your opinion, is that a good use of of their time and money and effort? Uh, what do you well, think about things like? Yeah, I think I don't know if it is or isn't, and I, I guess I don't know enough about what they're doing to, to yeah. say that it is not. Um, but I don't. Right, I, I would hope that they also have done something um, to in the field of. Uh, you know, in the mission field, which they, they may have, very well have, I would hope they've done something to sure. uh, minister to the refugees that are coming to our shores. I hope, would hope yeah. they have also done something to drill wells, you know, in the third world. Uh, there's a little bit, you know, that it, it gets back to what uh, your friend Oz Guinness talks about, is that we, we so often get busy uh, fighting for our own rights, protecting our yeah. own rights, when really we need to be fighting for the rights of others and protecting the rights of, of others. And that's part yeah. of servant leadership in the, in the political realm. So I, I guess I would question, what are we teaching those college students? Um, are we really teaching them what it's like to be a servant leader? And yeah, yeah, I would much prefer to see campaigns that are advocating for, for justice and fighting for the mm-hmm. rights of others. Oh boy, I, I I hear you. I think that's that's so true. And don't you think that these kind of issues like this are are what get people riled up, though? And that's what get brings in money and attention. Well, yeah, and, we're, uh, right. we're back to money. We're back. We're back yeah. to fundraising. Um, I, you yeah. know, I mean, this, we're we're only a generation. Well, now two, almost two generations mm-hmm. removed from the evangelicals in this country, Protestants more or less sitting on the sideline mm-hmm. during the civil rights movement um, and rationalizing their way past it. Um, that's essentially uh, Martin Luther King's letter from the Birmingham jail to, to Christian yeah. leaders um, telling them, Hey, you don't rationalize uh, any delay in what needs to happen to bring, to bring justice. And I think, so I, to me, the challenge is when we, if we sit around and what we're focusing on is, the ink on the, on our paper money. Uh, are we so certain that we're not repeating uh, the, the tragedy of uh, the fifties and sixties when evangelicals and their leaders were not counted on the field uh, of play to actually change something uh, radically and to bring about uh, justice? You know, what would those issues be today? And someone say that the pro life movement, and I think I think there's a lot of validity to that. Uh, but there's mm-hmm. others, and the yeah. way we talk about the way we're talking about refugees in this country in 2016 alarms me. Maybe that's the field of play we need to be on. You know, what are we mm-hmm. really doing to bring uh, young women out of out of uh, the, the the sex slave mm-hmm. uh, trafficking mm-hmm. that goes on around the world? Uh, there's just so many people that need the strength of our voices and the resources that we have, particularly as Americans, and uh, we're. We're, we're so uh, poorly focused, it would seem to me. And I would hate that we would look back, or our children will look back and say, you know what, you, you guys weren't there when this was all going on, much as now we may look back and criticize the evangelical leaders of the 50s and 60s. Mm. Mm. 
Rob, that's a, that is such a good, such a good point. And you know what? I, we're, I'm going to, I'm going to end our discussion right there because, uh, I wanted to keep this tight. I want to respect your time, but uh, I think you've given us some real handles on how we can how we can think differently about being a Christian in our culture, even in a, in in through politics, rather than just uh, uh, you know jumping on board with some kind of uh, uh, evangelical speak that. Uh, is supposed to draw us all together into one camp. I think that's really great, and uh, I I just I I pray that um, that you you continue to have opportunities to be uh, a servant leader and represent the kingdom of God in in in, in your in places of influence and. In and we'll see what happens. It's going to be an interesting, obviously, an interesting rest of this year, is it not? <laughs> it, this will be one for the history, literally for the history books. Uh, we're, we're, we're all living through a, a fascinating uh, election cycle, that is for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, Rob, thank you so much for your time and uh, appreciate your wisdom. And um, God bless you, my friend. Thank you, John. It's great to be with you and visit with you and, and the listeners. Okay. Thanks so much. Well, there you go, folks. Uh, my goodness, uh, that's, uh, that's quite a discussion and quite a, quite a world we live in and quite a time to be alive. We think more deeply than just the surface. And uh, rather than how important it is that we have in God we trust on our money. How about what's in our heart? Are we truly trusting God in our heart? And at that point, it doesn't matter whether it's on our money or not. And whether it's on our money is not going to get anybody trusting in him anyway because uh, certainly hasn't done that well so far. So, um, you know, let's think deeply. Let's be members of the kingdom of God and let's serve and look for the needs around us at our doorstep. And uh, sure, let's get involved with politics, but let's not think that we can bring in the kingdom of God through politics. God bless you. We'll keep this discussion going for sure. And uh, it's going to be a great year. Thank you so much. Geico presents sharing versus oversharing. Earlier this week, Claire Tippins shared a princess nickname generator, three pictures of her dog wearing a tutu, and two online quizzes, including what candy is your dream castle made of? Claire, your sharing has tipped the sugar scale and turned into oversharing. But have no fear, princess. Geico has something worth sharing with your internet kingdom, like how you could save hundreds on your car insurance just by visiting geico.com. No magic wand required. Geico, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.